Welcome to Blue Talks Podcast, where we present compelling narratives about entrepreneurs, innovators, and dreamers. So my sister just texted me now telling me how much she's missed me. <laughs> well, I know what she truly misses, so I open my Stanbic IBTC app and say to it, Hey, I want to transfer 5,000 naira to Funke. Done. And my post just asked me what the highest price stock is right now. Huh. I can't fold my handle, so I open my Stampic IBTC app from the comfort of my home and figure it out. Got it! You be the hero. Upgrade and take control of your finances with the new Stambic IBTC mobile app. Download or upgrade your Stambic IBTC mobile app on Google Play or Apple Store to experience seamless voice banking, stockbroking, insurance and more from the safety of your home. From your one-stop financial services partner, Stambic IBTC. It can be. Blue Talks, brought to you by Stambic IBTC. Welcome to today's edition of Blue Talks. On today's edition, we'll be speaking with somebody in the healthcare sector. Um, I'd like to call in maybe the Nostradamus of our, of our time or the healthcare sector. Because it's jumped into not just healthcare, but it's, it's jumped into a very virgin or greenfield area, you know, in terms of, I don't know what to call it, whether it's molecular biology or DNA testing and trying to answer questions about who we are as Africans, essentially, and um, how we can get better health care for ourselves, um, whether it's preventive or it's um, curative medicine um, in itself, essentially trying to create a better or a deeper knowledge bank that can be used repeatedly or relied upon by health experts and so they can make better um, judgment calls. We're still speaking on our um, COVID-19 fallouts you know if I, if I if i may say and how it's affected several industries we've spoken about um the legal space we've spoken about the real estate and we've spoken generally about communications we've spoken about education now we're picking on healthcare, and um, healthcare is one of the sectors that has benefited the most um, from the impact of covid19 um, healthcare and technology sectors and um, the healthcare primarily because that's where the principal impact of um, COVID-19 hit and just made the world realize that there are certain things we need to put in place, certain measures we need to put in place, you know, just to be able to ensure that we leave a, we, there's a minimum level of safety healthcare wise. Without much ado, I will introduce to you Dr. Abasi Ene Obon. It's good to have you here today. Thanks, Taiwo. Great, great. Thanks. Um, very quickly, maybe we'll jump into it. Do you want to give us a brief overview of yourself? I know it's quite an interesting story. Um, I know last year we had a chat and you had mentioned that the company was only some months old at that time and you were you had raised a certain amount of money and some people were saying, this is what people raise in their Series C and so on and so forth. But I guess um, the proposition was rather compelling. So can you just walk us through that journey as, as, as briefly as you can, how you got to that point? Well, you know, People typically think uh, that a journey is a few months before the news, <laughs> you know, that max that journey, uh, you know, but the journey starts a long time ago uh, for most people. Um, and in my case, uh, it was the same. You know, I, I went to university in Nigeria. Uh, I started my university education at University of Calabar. I was one of the first people in Nigeria who studied genetics as an undergrad student. I mean, the field of genetics was so compelling then. Um, and, 
you know, at the time we didn't know much, but we knew that uh, genetics was behind most illnesses. You know, but again, I knew that I couldn't really go the distance, you know, in that field if I stayed back in Nigeria, right? Just because we didn't even have the lab spaces uh, to, to, to progress that study. I was uh, lucky that I, after my youth service, uh, was able to go abroad, uh, studied, got a master's in human molecular genetics um, at the Imperial College, got my PhD in cancer medicine uh, at the University of London. And I, and I know it sounds like, you know, when you say I got my master's and my PhD, it sounds like in two years and stuff. But, you know, there was a period of time, work, hard work in the lab, uh, developing the skill sets. But I, I knew that I, I tell people I knew that I was not going to win a Nobel Prize. <laughs> I wasn't that smart. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I knew that I could build stuff and I wanted to build a platform that other people perhaps could win Nobel Prizes using that platform. And that, uh, you know, basically instructed me to go get my master's in business in the U.S. Um, and so I was now able to merge sciences with business and I got work experience in healthcare industries globally, uh, you know, working as a management consultant before deciding, okay, I'm coming back to Nigeria to start a healthcare company, African uh, healthcare company, but with a global focus. And that's what we did. You know, uh, we started a company called 54Gene, um, biggest operation right now in Nigeria, but the ripples of what we do is felt across the world. You know, um, if you're of African origin anywhere in the world, uh, what we do will affect you. Even if you're not of African origin, even if you're Caucasian, uh, just because of how valuable uh, you know, our genetic material is as Africans and, and the fact that you know, most studies have not yet included us. So there's a ton of science that is yet uh, to be done. And our company sort of is, is helping facilitate all that new science. And hopefully uh, that would lead to whether that's a better understanding of diseases for Africans and non-Africans alike, and perhaps even uh, the discovery of new drugs. And so that's, that's the goal. Uh, that's what keeps us going. You know, for us, we now want to, we describe ourselves as equalizing precision medicine. Um, and why that's important is precision medicine or personalized healthcare is you know, is what medicine has moved to. You know, you can't treat cancers now without bringing in precision medicine techniques. You can't treat cardiovascular disease, or, you know, of which hypertension is one of them, without uh, personalized medicine. But because most of all of the science that has have led to where we are right now in precision medicine excluded you and I, Africans, you know, most of those benefits elude us. And so we are coming in to equalize, you know, precision medicine to bring clinical innovation back to Africa and Africans. So that, yeah, I don't know if that was the answer <laughs> that you were hoping for. I don't think in this instance there's any wrong answer, but <laughs> the journey was a, long, was a long journey. It wasn't just a short journey. It wasn't something that you just popped out of school. We're fortunate to be on the other side of the pond and 
able to meet them, you know, opportunity to meet potential investors. You saw them, the idea, and they bought into it. But you had built and proven yourself right from your undergrad all the way through to your postgrad, your PhD, your master's in business or you know, business administration, or MBA, and so on and so forth. So it's a um, it's a culmination, if I might say, culmination of all your efforts that brought you to this point. You know, um, and who knows? Like honestly, um, I, I think you might just win the equivalent of a Nobel Prize if we ever have one in this part of the world. So, but um, when I first heard about you and, and what you're trying to do, one thing I asked myself is. Who in the world decides to want to take on this kind of task? And in Nigeria, you know, particularly, you know, why not just rely on um, existing data sets and structures? But you, like you rightly said, those systems naturally excluded us. Um, even the, the therapeutic medicine, all the solutions for treating various things, you know, vaccines and stuff like that. A lot of those things aren't generally created with us in mind, you know, so you sort of found a niche and like we need to start understanding ourselves better and creating those solutions. So, um, but what in the world possessed you first and foremost? I'm going to do this. Um, you know, what propelled me? I got possessed by something. <laughs> you know, I, I remember while I was on the other side of the pond, as you, as you say, um, and one of the things I would do was I would help pharmaceutical companies, uh, drug companies, understand uh, global markets and and you know where to take a new drug to where to launch a new cancer medicine or a new diabetes medicine and i i i, I remember all the time you know when i was doing all this the analysis to advise uh, the c-suites of this company and we would always come to we would look at the world as the us eu5 or maybe even eu7 the BRICS, so Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa um, was added to the BRICS. And one of the things that was always lacking was Africa, right? So outside of South Africa, the bunch of, of Africa was grouped under what we call rest of the world. You know, and you know what rest of the world is? It's for, for a pharmaceutical company is we have no strategy to, to do anything there. You know, we have no strategy and we're not going to commit any major resource uh, in, in this part because we're not going to get any real value back. Um, and when you consider the rest of the world, that is the African component was, when we're talking about 1 billion plus people of which my family is part of right and you know it's the question then becomes you know you have to do something and so for me i that that was why i said i wanted to do an african company but with a global focus you know and and there, there are lots of issues that still need to be solved there's the research you know component where there's the, the lack of data that informs whether a drug even works for us i mean i'll, I'll tell you about um you know, so the US FDA released uh, a report towards the end of last year. And it turns out that over the past 10 years, when they looked at clinical trials, so clinical trials are how, you know, you get a drug into use, you know, how you, you certify that the drug is safe and effective, you know, to treat the condition it's ascribed to treat. And what the FDA found was that over the past 10 years, 
people of African origin contributed to only 5% of all clinical trials. And in addition to that, they also saw that when they dived deeper to like uh, cancers and cardiovascular disease, that people of African origin contributed to about 2% of the clinical trials in those spaces. So what does that mean? It means that if there is a cancer drug, they only tested it on 2% of Africans, you know, or, or people of African origin, which means that the drug might not be safe or might not even be effective, right? And so this drug has gone through uh, FDA approval. It's now being used in multiple markets globally. But you don't know for sure that the drug is going to treat you because you were not represented in the trials that made the drug, you know, that were approved the drugs. You know, and, and so, you know, for, for me, that's one of the reasons I started this, you know, seeing all those gaps, seeing that we were not being prioritized. But I also understood that the reason we're not being prioritized was not because, um, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the other reasons was that we were not organized ourselves as Africans, right? There was no structure per se in our healthcare system. We didn't have data. Um, I worked for a company that can estimate the number of drugs sold weekly across the U.S., right? And, and that's because the company was able to create data networks across all pharmacies in the U.S. And because they had all of that, they could advise drug companies about, you know, where their products were selling, you know, which doctors were prescribing their medicines. We don't have any of that data, right? And so... If I had a drug company and I was looking at sales effectiveness, I don't have any data on Africa to inform where to put my resources to. I don't have any data to show that if I make this investment, that you know there's going to be reimbursement. In other words, health insurers will pay for the cost of these medicines. And so if I don't have any data telling me all of these things, I don't want to go. I don't want, like, you know, these people are not running charities, right? And so we need to do our own internal development and organize our own systems, right? And it's when we do these that we start seeing more engagement and more, more innovation coming into this part of the world. I mean, you're so 100% right. I mean, just to buttress your point, I was looking at the 2020 budget now and um, healthcare. I think uh, maybe third on the list of the highest budget after defense and, edu and education. I'm at $464 billion. Um, I, I mean, and if we go by our uh, rate of implementation, which is typically around 30%, 30 to 40% in most cases, um, maybe even under that. Um, so let's look at 30% of our budget and see whether or not where it will take us you know, um, in general. So you're quite right in terms of not being organized, in terms of not that data not being available. I mean, I've had those experiences. Even the simple HMO systems we run is a challenge. You know, when you go somewhere, they say your name is not on one list. And, so, and these yeah. are the systems that that's, they're simple enough to be able to digitize, you know, make it just um, a bit electronic. But we're glad that we're at this point now, we do not have a choice but to start paying more attention 
to these things. I mean, if we had this organization, things like contact tracing during this um, pandemic would have been a whole lot easier. And we've seen countries where that have implemented it. And we saw how they implemented it because they had all the systems in place like that. But more importantly is that um, you attracted a lot of funding was it because of the sector? Do you think that that's one of the biggest issues that the healthcare sector lacks right now? Funding? Yes. You mean it was funding one of the biggest issues? Um, the way I look at it is, you know, people, you know, people believe that healthcare is a right. I also agree with people that, you know, uh, quality healthcare is should be should be a God-given right. But even at that somebody pays for it you know like in every market where there is good healthcare there is always a payer right and that payer could be the government or it could be private payers or a combination of both you're talking about the nigeria budget where you know you say it's about 400 billion naira uh which comes to under one billion dollar right and then if you look at it at 30% um, implemented, you're talking about $300 million. In Nigeria, there's about 200 million people. So that means that the government of Nigeria spends $1, you know, $1.5 per person, or to put it in Naira, spends less than 1,000 Naira per person in healthcare. Now, Let's look at what happens in the UK, where there are 60 million people. So that's about uh, a quarter of what we are in Nigeria, where the NHS spends close to $200 billion yearly on healthcare delivery, right? That's totally different. If you go to the US, uh, the, the US spends $1.5 trillion on healthcare for 300 million people. Of that $1.5 trillion I spent by the government, because private uh, entities now end up spending about 2.5 on top of that, right? But of the 1.5 that the government spends, about 40 billion of that goes to the National Institutes of Health for research. Now you ask, why do we have problems in Nigeria? The numbers tell the, the reasons why we have problems in healthcare. You know, the government is not investing in healthcare. You know, the budgeting is low. We don't even have an R&D item on our budget. I don't know if we do. If we do, it's very insignificant. Uh, so we can't even innovate, you know, um, in, in healthcare. We can't take care of ourselves. You know, yes, there is a problem. Because the government isn't providing the funding, Funding then comes to the private individual to provide. And so in Nigeria, you have a situation where more than 90% of us, you know, pay out of pocket, right? And out of pocket is a combination of I'm paying per use for drugs or, or treatments, or I am paying a health insurer. But if the health insurance man tells you that you should pay, that your premiums in a year should be 500,000 Naira, a year, you will complain and you would say, why should I pay 500,000 Naira a year in premiums, right? Uh, you would rather want to pay 30,000 Naira or 12,000 Naira in annual premiums. How does that even work, right? But I can tell you that many people have 
mobile phones are more expensive, way, 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 way more expensive than their annual premiums. So if we as a people, the government, yes, might fail us, but if you and I refuse to also do our part to take care of ourselves and our families, right, then, you know, we are also not uh, funding the healthcare innovation and delivery within the country, you know, and, and that's the biggest problem. So yes, we might look at investors coming in, but investors do not solve a market issue. Investors might invest to create a product uh, or to fund an innovation, but the market is still the market. The healthcare ecosystem remains the healthcare ecosystem. And so an investor might fund a product or the uh, money to develop a product, but that product will be taken to a market where it can survive and thrive in, right? It will not be sold in a market that does not have legs. Right, and so the biggest problem, at least one of the major problems uh, for healthcare in Nigeria is funding. But when I say that, I also mean that it's not enough to point fingers at the government to say, why are you not increasing uh, the budget and the allocations? You should, we should all do that. We should hold them responsible. But we should also hold ourselves responsible. If you go to do a test, or if you're sick and you need a test, and the test costs 20,000 naira, don't complain. <laughs> there are people in the US who are paying $500, and one that actually cancer, specialty cancer test in the US costs $5,000, right? And you know, what is $5,000? They're paying nearly 2 million naira for a test, a diagnostic test. You know, and then you go to the lab somewhere and they tell you it's 20,000 naira for a test and you complain. But then I also understand that, you know, not everybody can afford all of that as, as well. So it's a, it's a very mishmashy thing, you know, because in a society where many people live below the poverty line, you need to have a system that takes care of those people. But then you also have a very unbalanced society where lots of people or quite a number of people are also very wealthy, you know? So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's multiple strategies for different segments of the market, but the major problem goes to funding and with funding, hopefully you can get more innovation. Very well put, very well put. And so if we take a cue from that, what kind of opportunities would you say exist currently in the market? I know you sort of spotted one, so like you found a niche there. Are there other opportunities that could either complement what you're doing or in general, just speaking in general, in opportunities in the space? I know other people have looked at helping hospitals just digitize their records um, and so on and so forth. I mean, I found out something a few years ago that um, there actually um, hospitals are required by certain local governments to actually submit their, on a weekly basis or every two weeks to submit their um, records of cases, you know, to the local government. You know, I'm curious to know what those what happens to all that data. So I know some people are trying to digitize some things, helping hospitals digitize their records, and so on and so forth, and like that. But what other opportunities would you see in the space in the healthcare space? Space speaking generally now. So um, I mean, there's lots of opportunities, and I think that the reason we are still talking about digitizing records, which is a very good opportunity, by the way. But the reason why I'm still talking about that is because people are still not very confident in investing in healthcare. 
right? Because how much does it cost to set up uh, an electronic health record company in, or, or to do it for a few hospitals? You know, that's it's not much. I mean, if you decide to build an electronic uh, an EMR platform powerhouse that requires you to digitize for hundreds and thousands of hospitals, yes. You know, and there's a company that does that already, Helium, you know, and, and they're good guys. Um, but outside of that, you know, like even the rudimentary things, like why do we have a ton of mom and pop shop hospitals in the country? You know, why do we have so many in the US, they're, they're called doctor offices, right? And there was a time that in the US, they had to go through consolidation. You know, um, I think some of it was driven by regulation. Um, or, you know, at some point, the big hospitals started acquiring the doctor offices um, and consolidated. And then you now have what are called integrated delivery networks, IVNs, which is a group of hospitals, you know, that provide care delivery. Um, but why is it important to do that? It's important because group purchasing, you know, in, in the U.S., there, there are organizations called GPOs. Uh, a GPO is a group purchasing organization. Um, and what basically what a GPO does is it coalesces um, orders, right, and goes by buys in bulk. And then, you know, members of the GPO get, you know, um, at, at lower prices, you know. So if... We, there's a ton of mom and pop shop hospitals and we're all paying retail times two to buy uh, commodities. Why don't we collaborate and partner and form a GPO that we now all come under and goes and buys, you know, at one swap fell swoop and gets and drives prices down. And then that we were able to, to, to get, you know, drugs at lower prices. That's also what you need when you're going to negotiate some of the world's leading cancer drugs. You know, drugs go through what we call variable pricing, right? Differential pricing in the sense that a medicine is not the same price in the same in all markets. In the US, the same drug can have 20 different prices, right? And there's a price that is given to the government, there's a price given to insurer A, which is different from price given to insurer B. And it's because insurer A says I have 100,000 lives, and I and I estimate that 20% uh, of my lives will need this drug, right? But then insurer B might have 50,000 lives and estimates that 10% of its you know of, of the people who are covered of the lives under it will need the drug, and so everyone negotiates. Um, but again, you go with bulk. You, 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 you have to make it worth the while to the person who has the product to sell. And that's the issue. And that's even something we noticed during COVID, right? Because with COVID, the people did not have, you know, like if I run a small shop and I'm trying to buy little quantities, then I have to pay the middleman to the middleman to the middleman, right? And I end up paying so much more than if I went straight to the distributor, you know? And, and so there's, even just from a market dynamic perspective, there's a lot that can be done. You can set up GPUs, 
you can set up what we call specialty pharmacies, so service support to uh, to to hospitals that require um, specialty products. Um, Life Bank is is doing something like that, you know, but their focus is on oxygen and, and blood. Those are specialty products, right? But you know, somebody can say, you know what, I want to set up a specialty pharmacy that deals with oncology medicines, you know, cancer medicines that requires cold chain storage and might be expensive for a hospital to buy and store. But I can set it up so that if a doctor requires it, they request it and I send immediately and you pay, you know. There are lots of different gaps that exist uh, outside of the traditional hospital pharmacy lab. You know, there's lots of what will really drive the system, the ecosystem is the interplay between those three pillars that I've mentioned, hospital, pharmacy and lab. What exists in between? How do they communicate? What services are provided, you know, uh, in between? In them and, and and those are some places where opportunities exist let me even add you know one thing that is interesting to see when i watch south africa right this whole concept of consolidating hospitals south africa has some of the world's biggest hospital groups valued at billions of dollars right they've done this so well that not only do they own hospitals in south africa they have started purchasing hospitals in dubai in the uk Right, um, they're building hospital groups that you know they're able to drive down prices and provide efficiency. And there's a lot of financial value that they are creating in the process. And in South Africa, it's in Africa. So you know, I think that for a market like Nigeria, we do need some major hospital groups as well. I believe that it's possible to have a hospital group in Nigeria that is valued at over a billion dollars. Um, so maybe this is a call for somebody to do it, but, you know, I, I think that it's something we need to do. Great, great insights. I mean, you, you, you sort of broken it down into, I mean, the three pillars of, um, between the hospital, the pharmacies and the, and the labs, um, and how they work there, um, like that. I mean, some of the things you talked about the pharmacies, I think life stores is doing something like that. They're buying pharmacies and building theirs and so they can create a lower pricing and it's easier to negotiate bulk wise than, um, do that. I think right now they have the, between three and five pharmacies. I'm not sure yet um, how many they've been able to to be able to do some of those things in there. And I think um, even for the hospitals, I think Lagoon, you know, is part of the Hygia group or Hygia Limited Lagoon Hospitals, you know, they're sort of in that, um, what you call it, in that trajectory as well. Um, but we'll see. Um, I, I hear you loud and clear. One of the things you're saying is that there are models for us to be able to follow already. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's just to be able to take the lessons from there and just move on from it. Very lastly, um, what do you think we should be doing right now as a country, continent, healthcare-wise? What's, what's the one thing if you were given, the president said, come sit down, or if ECOWAS said, come sit down, the African Union said, look, Dr. Abbasi, we need you to come talk to us about healthcare. What's the one thing or two things or three things you will tell me? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> they won't call me to sit down, though. You know that, right? <laughs> um, you know, so one way to look at this is to look at what exists in our hospitals today. We've, we've been spoiled in the sense that uh, African countries have relied on foreign aid donations 
to take care of us and our health. And most of those funds have focused on certain diseases, malaria, HIV and AIDS, mostly maybe uh, neglected tropical diseases. But what if I told you, and you probably know this now, that in Nigeria, non-communicable diseases make up about 50% or more of the disease burden in the country. Now, what is a non-communicable disease? It's diseases like cancer, like diabetes, like hypertension, you know, like uh, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, um, and, and, a, and a whole host of other diseases. But yet there is no real care for those diseases. You know, um, those diseases require treatment for the life or lifespan of the person. Once they have had the disease, it's, it's chronic. You know, if I have diabetes today, I probably am going to die with diabetes. It may not be what kills me, but it's going to be with me till I die, right? And I will have to treat it for the rest of my life. And my ability to treat it and take care of myself while going through that is what will make me live short or longer, right? Neglected uh, kidney diseases, chronic kidney disease is another one. And one, these diseases I've mentioned as well, they all have a genetic interplay. You know, um, it's not the same disease. You know, yes, we call it kidney disease because it affects the kidney, but the etiology, you know, the cause of the kidney disease might be different in one person compared to another person. So an example is breast cancer, right? Breast cancer is breast cancer, but there's multiple types of breast cancer. There's HER2 positive, there's ER positive, there's progesterone positive, there's triple negative breast cancers. Each of those cancers I've mentioned, they all affect the breast, right? And all would require some type of treatment. But all the drugs that are required to treat those medicines differ, right? So if I can't, if I can't tell what the exact type of breast cancer it is that I have, how do I know how to treat it? Right, and how can I tell the type of breast cancer if I don't have the right types of molecular diagnostics in the country, right? Which right now in Nigeria, most people, most labs don't provide. And then in addition to that, I need to also be able to fund it because those molecular diagnostics are expensive, right? And so there has to be a funding mechanism for it. And then in addition, once you know, I've done the diagnosis and I know what it is, I need to get the medicines, which also are expensive, right? So what will I tell them? I'll tell them that we just need to build a new healthcare system. You know, it's not a magic pill, pill that solves it. It's all of us coming, sitting down on the table and saying, we need to figure this thing out. We need to invest. We need to invest in research. We need to invest in proper diagnosis. We need to invest in, in, in drug uh, channels, you know, getting the right drugs into the country. Um, and we need to invest in education so that our people really know what it is that ails them. You know, and, and that's on the non-communicable disease side. But then on the communicable disease side, I would say, guys, Yes, we focus on malaria and, and, and you know, TB and HIV, 
But hepatitis is making a mess out of us. You know, hepatitis, you know, Nigeria is probably one of the high, has one of the highest prevalence of hepatitis in the world. And with our population, that means we have multiple millions of people with hepatitis. And hepatitis is the leading cause of liver cancers and end-stage liver disease. And if you look at the rate of cancers now, the incidence of cancers in Nigeria, liver cancer is shooting up rather drastically, you know? Um, and why is it? Because of hepatitis. Right now, you can actually cure hepatitis C. You can diagnose it and cure it before you couldn't, but now there are drugs for it. We just don't have the right programs. And that goes again into funding um, and setting the right national strategic priorities. Uh, thank you for that. Sorry, another question popped up. One question, just very brief answer. Do you believe that health insurance or your good health care should be tied to employment as we have here or in the U.S.? Or should it be socially driven like you have in the UK and some other parts of the world? Both are different models and both models work when implemented properly. Now, should uh, health insurance be employer-driven or government-driven, right? So in the UK, you know, yes, the government pays for healthcare. In the US, I got health insurance through my employer, right? Um, and I don't think that any one of those is necessarily wrong. Uh, I think it's the, the manner and level of implementation that makes a difference. I will say, though, that even in the UK, where you have government paying for healthcare, that every worker in the UK makes a contribution to the... Everyone pays like a national security type fee, right? So there's a percentage of your monthly salaries that is deducted that goes into paying for healthcare. You know, so you may not be paying for health insurance directly, but as soon as you get to working age and you start earning a living, uh, you start making your, your national uh, contributions. And that is where funding for the NHS comes from. So um, we may not call it insurance, but you still pay for it indirectly. Um, and so I, I think that both models work, um, you know, again, it depends on the society, it depends on the type of government, um, you know, and you just have to figure out where as a country we fall under and which we are best set for. Thank you. Thank you very much um, for joining us. It's been insightful, entertaining, educative. So I think, I think we could go on for this, um, discussing this there because it's a very critical issue. But I think you shed a lot of light on the topic. Um, I think our listeners will be very enlightened, um, very, better well-informed about these things. Thank you for your time and for contributing to our discourse. It's been a pleasure Thank having you, you here. That's been our edition of Blue Talks for today. Next time, stay safe and God bless. Blue Talks, brought to you by Stambic IBTC. So my sister just texted me now telling me how much she's missed me. <laughs> Well, I know what she truly misses, so I open my Stanbic IBTC app and say to it, Hey, I want to transfer 5,000 Naira to Funke. Done. And my post just asked me what the highest price stock is right now. Huh. I can't fold my hand though, so I open my Stanbic IBTC app from the comfort of my home and figure it out. Got it!
You be the hero. Upgrade and take control of your finances with the new Stambic IBTC mobile app. Download or upgrade your Stambic IBTC mobile app on Google Play or Apple Store to experience seamless voice banking, stockbroking, insurance and more from the safety of your home. From your one-stop financial services partner, Stambic IBTC. It can be.